Welcome to the Insights at ULAR 2020 series, brought to you by the Cytokine Signaling Forum, where authors review their Congress posters and presentations on cytokine signaling and JAK inhibitors. My name is Dr. Len Calabrese. I'm a professor of medicine at the Cleveland Clinic. This final edition brings together a range of important topics, including some great basic science abstracts. In the first presentation, Professor McKinnis reviews an ex vivo comparison of baricitinib, tofacitinib, rupatacitinib, and filgotinib in human leukocyte subpopulations. Hello, my name is Ian McInnes. I'm your head professor of medicine, University of Glasgow. It's a pleasure to tell you about this poster that we presented at the virtual ULAR Congress 2020. Uh, it was a, an analysis using an ex vivo human leukocyte subpopulation culture system of the impact of different JAK inhibitors on individual cytokine signaling pathways. Well, the background here is, of course, that the JAK inhibitor family is growing. Uh, in particular, there Agents are approved, for example, baricitinib, tofacitinib, bupadacitinib, or in fairly advanced stages of development, such as fulgotinib. And this particular study looked at the JAK cell activity profile using a, a peripheral blood mononuclear cell assay. We took PBMCs from six healthy donors and incubated them with JAK inhibitors over a variety of concentrations. And we then looked at the impact upon cytokine stimulation of phosphostat, and also looked at the IC50 calculated and gated leukocyte subpopulations. We were also interested in the therapeutic dose relevance assessed using calculated mean concentration time profiles over 24 hours, trying to refer back, if you like, to the actual amounts of drug that would be present in a patient in the real world. And from this, we calculated an average daily percentage inhibition of phosphostat calculated for each JAK inhibitor, for each cytokine and each cell type, and also for fulgotinib integrating parent drug and metabolite profiles. Now, this you can imagine is a pretty complex analysis. So let me just give you a summary. Uh, we, we detected cytokine uh, impact across a whole range of cells and by and large when signaling was detected an IC50 an average daily percent inhibition of phosphostat for any given JAK inhibitor was similar across different cell types and with similar dose dependencies so it, it doesn't matter too much what cell uh, a molecule was working in it it had similar pharmacokinetic properties and based on the IC50s Interestingly, the paracitinib was most and fulgotinib least potent across JAK2 and JAK2 TIC2 dependent uh, signaling, JAK1 3 dependent signaling, and JAK1 2 TIC2 dependent signaling pathways. The JAK inhibitors displayed quite discrete in vitro pharmacologic profiles, therefore, when you give them a chance to operate in whole cell systems rather than in cell free kinase inhibition assays. And we probably now need to think about the, the selectivity of these drugs based not only on their inhibitory kinase profiles and cell-free systems, but also in these intact cell systems as we move to an understanding of which JAKs are inhibited by any given medicine and how we then make inferences on the pharmacologic effects and, of course, most importantly, the clinical benefits achieved in patients. Now, this matters um, because going backwards, reverse translation from the in vivo inhibition back to understanding a pathogenesis is probably best achieved if we really understand 
the in vivo specificity and selectivity of these JAK inhibitors going forward. And that's really why these ex vivo analyses are being performed. In terms of clinical practice, what really matters is the efficacy and safety profile of these drugs, each independently in their own clinical trial programs until such times as we have head-to-head -head comparisons available. I hope that's interesting for you, and I, I hope it helps you in, uh, in, your, in your clinical practice at the moment. Same with Professor McKinnis. He'll now review a proteomic analysis comparing the mode of action of upadacitinib and adalimumab head-to-head. Well, hello, my name is Ian McInnes. I'm the Muirhead Professor of Medicine, University of Glasgow, and it's a real pleasure to tell you about this poster which we presented at the virtual ULAR Congress 2020. And this is a, a, an interesting analysis looking at the evolution of both biomarkers, but also trying to understand something about pathogenesis based on the use of proteomics. And in this case, using a proteomic approach to the analysis of samples taken from a head-to-head -head clinical trial comparing upadacitinib with adalimumab in people with active rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, so this is the select compare phase three trial. Now we know from prior analysis of the select compare phase three trial that upadacitinib showed greater efficacy uh, as compared to adalimumab in people with active rheumatoid arthritis. This study, as I've said, is really more focused on trying to understand mechanism potentially even leading to the evolution of biomarkers. Now, the regulatory immune networks affected by JAK1 inhibition were compared here with the networks that were affected by TNF blockade. They haven't been looked at before in a head-to-head -head trial, and it was a pretty unique opportunity for us to do that. So taken together, our, our aims here were to investigate relative immune pathway modulation via an evaluation of this predefined set of plasma proteins associated with inflammation in this phase three trial. Uh, we randomly selected 100 placebo recipients, uh, 100 patients who received upadacitinib 15 milligrams, and 100 who received adalimumab 40 milligrams every other week. We looked in total at 184 inflammation-related proteins, and we analyzed the, the impact of treatment on their modulation. Uh, upadacitinib and adalimumab compared to placebo, but we also looked at responders and non-responders for upadacitinib and adalimumab groups respectively. The pathway analysis was performed and the top 10% of pathways were selected for comparison. So what were the key results? Well, well both upadacitinib and adalimumab inhibited uh, pathways associated with uh, neutrophil and macrophage biology. However, we did see some differences. So the upadacitinib um, uh, preferentially inhibited biomarkers associated with T cells and adalimumab preferentially inhibited pathways associated with M1, or we don't like that phrase anymore, more inflammatory macrophages. And thinking about particular molecules, where for adalimumab, clinical response was mainly associated with lower levels of uh, protein biomarkers such as IL-6, uh, TNF-RSF1A, MMP10, IL-2RA, uh, CCL2, TNF-RSF10C, and, and serpene one and that all points to control of these pathways being linked to TNF and therefore to adalimumab administration to people with rheumatoid. For upadacitinib, well, the clinical response was mainly associated with slightly higher levels of protein biomarkers, IL-17A, 17C, CCL-11, CCL-20, and TIMP4. 
Now, um, analysis that we went into in more detail suggested that IL-6, TNFR, SF1A, IL-2RA, NPPB and Serpine-1 were downregulated similarly in UPA responders and non-responders, but by comparison, IL-17A was modestly upregulated similarly in ADA responders and non-responders. CCL20 was downregulated similarly in adalimumab responders and non-responders. Um, in contrast, IL-17C, IL-22RA1, TIMP4 and CCL11 were not modulated by adalimumab. Amongst the 184 protein biomarkers tested, none were associated with clinical response for adalimumab or uparacitinib. So what do we make of all of this? Well, uh, we detected common but also discrete alterations in protein biomarkers after exposure to adalimumab and or uparacitinib. And further distinctions were apparent in pathway changes associated with achievement of low disease clinical response. So it does look as if these markers may have some relationship to the way in which the drugs are doing the job. Uh, both agents, for example, inhibit macrophage and granulocyte associated pathways, but adalimumab is a, apparently having a preferential effect on inflammatory macrophages, whereas uparacitinib has some preferential effect on T cells. That makes some kind of sense. Uparacitinib inhibitor of JAK1 affects a fairly broad range of cytokine effects, whereas the exquisite specificity of adalimumab for TNF inhibition means that one might expect a more restricted or at least a discrete set of modulations of immune profiling. Now, at the end of the day, of course, what matters are clinical trial data, but these give us a fascinating insight into the pathways that these drugs are picking up when they change the biology in our patients. And they're the beginning of a discovery journey as to how we can generate biomarkers potentially useful in the prediction and uh, anticipation of clinical response to these agents. I hope that's been an interesting poster for you and I wish you well in your clinical practice. Our next presentation is from Professor Thomas Dorner, who reviews the delineation of pro-inflammatory cytokine profile targeted by JAK1 and 2 inhibition using baricitinib in a phase two SLE trial. So hello everyone. My name is Thomas Dorner. I'm a professor of rheumatology at the Charité University Hospital in Berlin at the German Research Center uh, for Rheumatology in Berlin. Uh, I'm very happy to share with you today recent insights into changes up in JAK1, JAK2 inhibition using baricitinib in a phase two trial in patients with systemic glucose. In this study, which has been published in 2018 in The Lancet, patients suffering from lupus have been enrolled and uh, received either placebo, paracetinib two milligram or paracetinib four milligram over a period of 24 weeks. And as you might know, patients receiving the four milligram achieved uh, the primary endpoint in terms of improvement or resolution of arthritis or rash compared to placebo uh, uh, in, in this trial. We went on and wanted to study the changes of certain biomarkers on, on the level of uh, STAT1, STAT2, STAT4 expression and the number of cytokines, including endorphin alpha, gamma, IL-6, IL-12, IL-23. And here we did a very comprehensive analysis. First of all, we compared at baseline all patients suffering from lupus to a healthy age and sex match controls. 
And subsequently, at week 12 and 24, we looked into the patients in terms of their changes of the proteins, the cytokine levels from IL-2 all the way down to interferon alpha, interferon gamma, compared this with the interferon gene signature, the autoantibodies and the complement factors C3 and C4, and compared this to SLIDA2K, swollen and tender joints, and the skin manifestations as assessed by the classes score. A very comprehensive analysis has been subsequently then performed, and I will share some of the very interesting findings with you. First of all, at the baseline or the beginning of the study, uh, when we looked into the certain biomarkers, into the, in particular the cytokines, we found um, that IL-17A, IL-1223, in particular the shared P40 chain, IL-6, interferon alpha and interferon gamma were readily detectable. And in most patients, we could identify higher levels of those cytokines. Uh, However, for certain cytokines like IL-2, GMCSF, IL-5, or IL-10, it was difficult to identify enhanced cytokine levels. In particular, we found at baseline, when we looked into in all of the variables, uh, that the IL-1223P40 chain was positively correlated with the SLIDA2K and the interferon gene signature and negatively correlated with the C4 levels. IL-6, as a very important B-cell driver as a cytokine, was positively correlated with joint swelling, joint tenderness, interferon gamma, and C3 level. Whereas interferon alpha, so the conventional may or key type 1 interferon, was positively correlated with interferon gamma, the NDSM, RNP antibodies, and the interferon signature. So to some extent, extent, we were able to identify a kind of core endotype of patients with uh, systemic lupus, where we believe that this is the core lupus uh, population. But this was at baseline. The most interesting findings in the study was, in particular in, in patients receiving the four milligram baricitinib, that the levels of the IL-1223, the pre-40 chain, significantly uh, reduced, in particular at week 12, but also at week 24, and the same happened for IL-6. So this was a quite interesting finding that IL-6 and IL-1223P40 correlated uh, with the improvement uh, in patients uh, receiving the formula. Program. Interestingly enough, and this was against of our expectation, the interferon gamma and interferon alpha did not change over time, neither in the two milligram nor in the four milligram. A number of different uh, uh, explanations might candidate for this. So overall, uh, I think we've identified a positive correlation of the SLIDA2K with the baseline levels of IL-1223P40. Baricitinib 4 milligram treatment was associated with statistically significant decreases in the serum levels of IL-6, IL-1223, the P40 chain at week 12, but also uh, consistently at week 24. Interferon alpha and gamma were not decreased under baricitinib treatment targeting JAK1, JAK2, which was against of our expectation. And I think all these findings candidate as very interesting biomarkers of the ongoing phase three study, which hopefully can be validated or, and hopefully uh, substantiate uh, 
uh, biomarkers of response. On behalf of my co-authors, all of the patients who participated uh, in the study, as well as their family members, I'm very grateful that we could uh, come to this point, starting the identification of certain biomarkers of response under paracetamol treatment in Luke. Thank you for listening to this edition of Insights at ULAR 2020. Make sure to subscribe to the CSF podcast channel on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts from, so you don't miss out on our other ULAR 2020 content. Subscribe now to listen to condensed daily highlights of the ULAR Congress, in addition to a complete Congress review presented by Professor Rike Alton and Professor Thomas Dorner. If you found this informative, why not listen to our regular podcasts, which include author interviews and monthly reviews of the latest cytokine signaling papers hosted by the CSF chairman, Professor Ian McInnes. You can also visit cytokinesignaling.com for access to a wide range of free educational resources, including monthly slide summaries of the latest papers and accredited CME courses.